Good morning. We've been on a journey together over the last several months through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we began by looking at uh, what, what are called the Beatitudes, where Jesus talks about what it means to be God's kingdom people. God's kingdom people are people who are blessed. They're blessed by God. They're blessed because they, we, are on the right path. We're on the path that God has for us, and we know God's love and favor. When you know God's favor, when you know God's love, when you're accepted, welcomed by God, then you are truly blessed. We're blessed people. And then from there, we spent nine weeks, 10 weeks going through the Beatitudes. From there, we began another uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount where we talked about what does it mean as God's kingdom people to live with God's uh, morality, if you will, with living in a way that honors God's uh, purpose and character. Jesus makes this statement that, that our righteousness ought to surpass that of the Pharisees, the teachers of law who were considered in that first century time to be the most holy people. And Jesus says, well, you know, really what I'm calling you to do is to be different from them, calling you to live a life that's better than them. And so we spent a number of weeks unpacking, trying to unpack what that means. What does it mean to have to live like people whose righteousness surpasses that of, this, of the religious leaders of that day. And what we talked about was that it's not just outward actions, but it's inward heart change that Jesus is looking for. And we looked at the, Jesus gives a number of examples. He gives six different examples. You have heard that it is said, that that that. But I say to you, and Jesus showing the contrast between an outward-based morality and an inward-based morality that actually comes out of a changed heart. And we wrestled with that. We unpacked all of that together. And uh, we're humbled by that, too. Because we recognize as we were going along the way that if it weren't for the fact that we were already approved, welcomed, received, loved by God, we would be in serious trouble because all of us fall short. We're starting a new section in the Sermon on the Mount today, starting with the beginning of chapter six. We're, we're calling it Kingdom Living, and we're gonna spend a number of weeks on, on this as well, actually going into September. And uh, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, we're gonna be looking at the contrast between kind of a false sort of worship and a true sort of worship, a false piety before God and a true piety before God. In chapter six, Jesus uh, gives a number of examples. Again, he starts with the three pillars of Jewish uh, devotion, uh, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. And he says, basically, our acts of righteousness he talks about what does it mean to, to live in a way that honors God. And then he continues with that and talks about our ambitions. What are, what are our ambitions? And he talks about uh, kingdom people live in a way that demonstrates that their ambition is for the kingdom of God, for the righteousness that comes within the kingdom. We're looking for treasures in heaven. We're looking to uh, the kingdom of God being displayed. 
He also talked about, talks about attitudes of righteousness. We'll catch that at, at the end of uh, chapter six going into the beginning of chapter seven where he talks about being people who, because we trust God, do not worry. People who uh, do not judge others falsely. Things like that. Today we're gonna focus on the beginning part of chapter six, verses one through four, and we're talking specifically about generosity, about giving, okay? Now the first thing I wanna say is, when Jesus talks about giving, it's not just the act of giving that matters, but the motive that matters. It's the motive matters a lot to Jesus. We live in a culture where uh, people spend a huge amount of time and energy managing their images. Now we're starting the political season. I'm already seeing lots of campaign ads. And uh, all of these politicians, all of our politicians have people who, whose job is to make them look good. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to be believed. We have people who manage, they have people who manage their image. But the truth is, they're not alone. They, have pay, they pay people to do that, but all of us try to manage our image. In a, in, in a very real way, all of us, all of us, try to look better than what we are. And we try to convince others, we even try to convince ourselves. And it seeps into the way we approach God. Thank you. <laughs> Some people should quit while they're still only a little bit behind. <laughs> Thank you. You know, lots of people preach from up here. I'm the only one that does, lets that happen. I don't know what I do. Uh huh. <laughs> That, that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> so let me, let me start with my big idea and I'll come back to it throughout, okay? We're talking today specifically about generosity. Here's my generosity, here's my definition of uh, kingdom of God generosity. True generosity is an act of worship that flows from her trust in God's acceptance and love for you and expresses itself in a desire to please him above all things by loving others as he loves you. Let me say that again. True generosity is an act of worship that flows from her trust in God's acceptance and love for you and that expresses itself in a desire to please him above all things by loving others as he loves you. So let's work through the text. I'm gonna read the text now and then we'll walk through it together, okay? So it's Matthew 6, one through four. There's kind of an outline, by the way, in, the, in your little bulletin if you'd like to follow along that way. Matthew chapter six, verses one through four. Be careful. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. 
If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus is, uh, is warning people, he's warning us. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That word be careful is a present active imperative. It's a Greek word prosekete. And, it, and the, the idea of it, of it is be careful, be always careful, be on your guard, give constant attention to It's an ongoing, be careful kind of idea. He's saying, um, when you, he's assuming, by the way, that we're going to do acts of righteousness. That's a given. So he's not talking about doing them. He's talking about our attitude in doing them, our reason for doing them, our motive for doing them. He says, be very, very careful. Now, acts of righteousness for the Jews in the first century, kind of was a sort of a phrase, a way of talking about actually giving to the needy. It was a weekly Jewish practice of, uh, you know, where you would give free will offerings, in, uh, you'd put it in the temple treasury. It's for the poor and the needy. And that word to be seen, that's the Greek word theomai. And uh, that's where we get our English word theatrical. And then in verse chapter two, uh, verse two of chapter six, where he talks about hypocrites, that word hypocrites also is a word that comes out of the theater. It refers to somebody who is wearing a mask, playing a role. So in verse one, we've got the word theomai, which, you know, which we get our English word theatrical. In verse two, we get the word hypocrite, which came from the idea of being in a theater, acting a role, being an actor. And the, the big idea that Jesus is putting together here is, be careful not to do your acts of devotion before God, not, as, not before God, before others, as if you're playing a role, as if you're just acting. He's warning us about fake devotion, fake piety, about piety for an audience rather than piety for the honor of God. And he's not just warning folks, the folks who are before him. Jesus is just warning his first century on This idea of hypocrisy has been part of human nature from the very beginning. As I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we all like to look better, like others to think we're better than what we actually are. So what, what Jesus is doing here is he's kind of laying out how that works out in, in uh, our worship life. And he gives three examples. He gives the example of, 
uh, giving to the needy, of prayer and of fasting, verses uh, one to 18 in chapter six. And he's saying, you know, don't be hypocritical in the way you express your religious devotion. He's saying, uh, he's saying, if you do that, you're putting yourself in great spiritual danger. Now, again, hypocrites are people whose piety is not from the heart. It's a fake piety. It's not genuine. It's a play acting and it's motivated by pride and ego. The focus isn't on God, it's on other people, what they think of you. How you, the focus is, is, is on how you're perceived by others. And it comes out of wanting the applause of other people more than we want the honor of God. Now, Jesus is making a big deal of this in this chapter. He's making a big deal of it because it's a big deal for all of us. So here's a question. How do you know when somebody's acting out of, uh, you know, they're driven by desire for applause or they're actually genuine in their religious devotion? How do you know? I'd say there are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who have mixed motives in everything they do and they struggle with that. They struggle with that. I think that's most of us. Most of us have struggled with our mixed motives for what we do in all things. Then there's another group of people. They, these are people who don't have mixed motives. They don't struggle with the temptation of mixed motives. That's because their motives are just plain all bad. There's only one person who's ever walked this earth who did not struggle with mixed motives. There's only one person who had pure motives in all they did, and that's Jesus. So if you're not Jesus, you either struggle with mixed motives or your motives are all bad. That's a fact of human nature that we need to accept about ourselves. Jesus knew this, that's why he warned us to be careful. Because if we stop struggling with our mixed motives, our motives become more and more turned toward hypocrisy and self-deceit. So let's unpack this a little bit more. All of us, all of us want attention, we want respect, we want applause, we want love from other people. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself. The question is, where and how will we look for this approval and what price will we pay for it? People who play act before God do so because they want the approval of others more than they want the approval or the honor of God. And that's tragic. It's tragic for a bunch of reasons. It's tragic because when you look, when you base your life on the approval of others, when, when you're looking for the approval of others, um, you may get it, but that's all you'll get. 
you'll, you'll, you'll get this kind of approval, but it won't last. And it won't satisfy for long. You see, when you live your life based on performance and not on grace, you're only as good as your last performance. You're only as good as your last performance. If you're a Patriots fan, you know, you know that you know, Logan Mankins know this, Vince Wilfork knows this, in a number of years Tom Brady's gonna know this. You're only as good as your last performance. It's not just true in the world of sports, it's true in all of life. If you base your life on the approval of others, you're only as good as your last performance. You're on this treadmill. You know, the world's approval is fickle. It's just fickle. You know, you're you're a hero today, you're a goat tomorrow, you're a... You're famous maybe for a moment and then you're forgotten for eternity. The world's approval, approval, performance-based approval, what it does is it creates anxiety in us and insecurity and it leads to hypocrisy and to self-deceit. That's really what Jesus keeps getting at when he, when he confronts the Pharisees. Because they've lived their life with the desire to receive the applause of others, what they've done again and again and again is they've, they've been hypocritical. They've said one thing and done another. And they've convinced themselves that they're righteous and then they've lashed out at others. So Jesus eventually accuses them of being a stumbling block. They're supposed to be shepherds of a flock of Israel. They're supposed to point people to God. And he says, instead of pointing people to God because of the hypocrisy and self-deceit of your life, you've actually turned people away from God. How tragic is that? And you haven't just turned other people away from God, you put up a wall so that you've cut yourself off from God, Jesus is saying to them. And he's saying the same thing to us when we're tempted in that way. The great tragedy of living for people's performance instead of living for the honor of God is that we cut ourselves off from God. That's why Jesus is saying, be careful. He wants them to know God. And it's a tragedy because God wants to give his approval. God already gives his approval, his acceptance. We are already blessed people living in an eternal and unconditional love relationship with God. That's who we are. That's what we're in. We don't have to prove ourselves to God. God isn't asking us to prove ourselves to him. He's asking, he's asking us to come humbly and honestly before him. Psalm 
we already have the favor of the one whose favor truly counts. So the warning here, be careful, is really a warning to guard our hearts, to be aware of our motivations. How do we do that? Well, we remind ourselves of who God is. He's our Father. We examine our motives on a regular basis. We ask us, why am I doing this? Am I motivated by love for God, love for other people? And whose reward do I want? Whose reward do I really want? And then in in the context of giving, but really everything, we don't announce our giving with trumpets. We We do not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. Instead, we give in secrecy. We do our acts of righteousness wherever possible in secrecy. We do what we do as quietly and unobtrusively as possible. We don't seek to be noticed or applauded. And we do that as a spiritual discipline. Now that doesn't mean that, that uh, we never do anything publicly. There are times when we are called to do some things publicly. For example, in chapter five, verse six, you remember that uh, Jesus says, um, you are the light of the world. Make your light shine by doing deeds to give glory and honor to your Father in heaven. So there's some things we do publicly, but we don't do it for our own glory. We do it publicly so that God's glory is seen, so that God's character is revealed, so that people give honor and praise to God and turn to God in Christ. That's a proper way of public acts, if you will. Anything that doesn't flow from that, though, is, is, gets to be a little dangerous, maybe a lot dangerous for us. We can do that because we know that God actually sees. We trust that God sees, that God our Father sees and rewards. This is, this is a wonderful little passage in Luke chapter 21. It's verses one through four. I'm, I'm gonna read it. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gift, gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So Jesus is talking about a situation where he and his disciples are at the temple and people coming in, they're dropping their money into the temple treasury. And uh, this may be where the idea of, um, of, you know, it may be the idea of where trumpets were sounded. It's possible, we don't have clear data on this, but it's possible that when, when um, people gave large gifts that the, the proceedings kind of stopped, if you will, and, and it was kind of uh, highlighted. And so people would look for ways to make sure that they were noticed. Here's this poor widow, however, who's just got two very small copper coins. Nobody notices her. Nobody pays attention to her. Nobody except for Jesus. Jesus notices. 
And he knows what's deep going on deep inside of her, why she does it, what it means for her to do this. He notices and he knows. There's no small acts of generosity in the eyes of God when they're generated by faith in him and love. Amen. No small acts to God when they come out of the, the right place in one's heart. Jesus knows and he notices and he gives his reward. He doesn't say what the reward is. But as you kind of read through the Gospels, you get an idea. Part of the reward is as you give the way Jesus wants you to give out of right motives, what happens is more and more and more you become more like Jesus. You become more like him in character. You become more like him in, in speech and in thought and in action and motivation and ambition. You become more like Jesus. That's a huge reward. You begin to see more of Jesus because when you're doing things in the way that Jesus wants you to do them, when you're living life the way Jesus wants you to live life, it means you're walking with Jesus. You you get more opportunities to see Jesus, to recognize his presence, to hear his voice. You become more tuned into him, more attentive to him, more able to sense his presence. You see more of Jesus. Ultimately, the treasure, the reward, is Jesus. Jesus is the great treasure. Jesus is the treasure. He's the reward. He gives himself to us. And we're able to receive more and more of him because our hearts expand to be able to receive him more and more intimately, more and more deeply, more and more to the very core of who we are. Now, I wanna focus particularly on generosity for the next few minutes. In the next several weeks, we're gonna be hearing more about this idea applied, this idea of true devotion, not hypocritical devotion, true devotion applied to various aspects of our worship before God. So I want to close today by talking about generosity. And I want to start by talking about the context of Jesus' teaching. So here is Jesus. He's got a large group of people in front of him and he's preaching and he's teaching and he's spending the day with them. Uh, And probably he's talked about this a number of times, but he's doing this. And think about the audiences before him. It's very, very, very likely that almost everyone in that audience would be what was considered, even in their culture, poor. So he's talking to people who are poor about generosity. And he's saying, you know, if you get a chance, give. He's assuming they're going to give. So in the kingdom of God, for God's people, generosity is just a part of who we are. Jesus assumes that his people will be generous regardless of their own circumstances, their own whatever their circumstances. He assumes generosity. 
three times in, in four verses, the phrase says, comes up, give to the needy. It doesn't say who the needy are, by the way. Uh, each of us has a, uh, actually I would say that everywhere we look, we find needy people, they're just needy in different ways. We're all needy, just needy in different ways. I'll get to that in a second. Now, I want to read a passage from Deuteronomy 15. It's a striking passage. I'm going to read verses 7 to 8 and then 10 to 11. If anyone is poor among your people in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore I command you to be open-handed toward those of your people who are poor and needy in your land. That's an idea that's throughout all the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. And this is one of the ways that the people of God can let their light shine in this world to give glory to our Father in heaven. We have an opportunity to be generous every day. And if we're generous, when we're generous, it's one of the ways that people start to recognize that God is in their midst. When God's people are generous, when God's people are generous like God is generous, people start to recognize that God is in their midst through his people. The other thing I'd say about generosity, scripturally, biblically, is it begins with humility. There's this great, great passage in Deuteronomy 26 where uh, Moses is reminding the people that they were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves and they were wanderers. And uh, God was gracious to meet them in their time of great desperation and need to deliver them and rescue them. He was gracious to them. And so the call in Deuteronomy 26 is to remember that and to be gracious to others. Now, there's no question that the people of Israel were in tough straits when they're under slavery in Egypt. There's also no question that those who are enslaved by the devil, enslaved in their own sins, are in a bad place. And Jesus has come and delivered us out of that. By grace, he has come and delivered us. We have received the generosity of God in extraordinary ways. And we ought to remember that as we extend generosity to other people. Generosity doesn't begin with us. 
It begins with God. There's nothing that we have that has been given to us, already given to us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not received? I read somewhere, I forget where, that we do not, we never gift. All we do is re-gift. We, we only give what we've already received, previously received from God. We never give, we, we re-gift. So let me give some examples of generosity, illustrations that, that might help us. Um, I first came to Worcester in uh, January of 1981. I came uh, as uh, I was sent by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship to do campus ministry in the Worcester area. I was sent here to start groups on campuses that didn't have Christian fellowships. And uh, when I came, um, I was just I, I, I was just beginning to raise financial support, didn't have very much money, and there's a couple that I met, Harry and Eva Downing, who invited me, they didn't know me worth a hole in the head, but they didn't care. They just invited me to come into their home to live with them, and they hosted me, I lived with them for, for quite a while while I was raising financial support. Uh, they gave me a room to, to sleep in, a bed, they fed me, they, they provided in all kinds of ways. That, that was part of their ministry to me, but it wasn't just to me. They did that with all kinds of people. They had kind of a long history of generosity to all kinds of people. They would host gatherings of people, students and other kinds of people on a regular basis to feed them and to bless them. They did that all the time. I, I learned a few, year, a few years after I'd gotten to know them that they Basically, they got audited by the IRS just about every year. And they got audited by the IRS because the IRS didn't believe, just did not believe that they were giving away such a high percentage of their income. So they'd get audited and they'd have to prove year after year after year they actually gave all this stuff away. They lived very, very simply so they could give away a whole lot. And they didn't give away just money, but they gave away themselves. Their time, their energy, their hospitality, their friendship, their encouragement, their prayers. It was just extraordinary generosity. It was who they were. Now, I met my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, when, shortly, within days of coming to Worcester. Uh, and uh, we got married, uh, we got <laughs> I met her in, uh, later in January of 1981. We got engaged on September 5th of uh, 1982. Uh, no, of, of 1981, September 5th of 1981. But uh, I didn't have money for an engagement, so we got engaged, but didn't have an engagement. And, and then we got married the following August 14th. So our 33rd wedding anniversary is coming up uh, this coming Friday. It's cool. Well, several years into our marriage, um, Harry and Ebba sent me a check. And uh, it was a check for uh, several hundred dollars. And they said, you can do whatever you want with this, except you can't use it for ministry. You, you, you have to do something 
fun, something. And so I was looking at this check, so what do I do with this check? And uh, I said, wow, I wonder if we finally get an engagement ring for Leslie. And we used that check to, to help buy Leslie's engagement ring several years after we were married. And, and it, for me, that engagement ring was, was both a demonstration, an expression of God's grace, gracious generosity, something beyond what we needed. And it was an expression of Harry and Ebba's love that just never stopped flowing to us until the day they died. Till the very last day, they loved us. And they loved us before they even knew us. And I can tell you, I learned a lot about the love of God through them. I read uh, an illustration from Nancy Ortberg. Uh, you may know John Ortberg, her husband, a bit better. He's a, he's a, very, he's a tremendous uh, preacher and uh, leader and uh, uh, well used in the kingdom of God. But so his wife Nancy is as well. But she, I read an illustration she used about generosity. She said, she talked about a guy who's an incredibly successful business person, businessman. And uh, he uh, got a vision for what it means to be generous while he was on a mission trip to Haiti. He was in Haiti and he was looking around and, and you know, when you go to these countries, you often see people wearing clothing that they got donated to them from the U.S. or from other places, mostly U.S. And, and often they're wearing, you know, T-shirts. They, they have no idea what the T-shirts are saying, what they mean. They, you know, T-shirts from schools, T-shirts from different companies, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they're wearing all this stuff. So he sees this, he sees this guy. He's, he's laying down. And, and this businessman goes over to this guy to put some money in his cup. And when he gets close, he notices the guy is barely breathing. He, he's barely breathing, and it's clear that he's going to die soon. And he puts the money in a cup. And then he notices what, what's on the guy's T-shirt. He looks at the T-shirt and says, shop till you drop. And the guy later told Nancy Orberg, I read that and I felt like somebody had kicked me in the stomach. And he says, on the flight home, I kept thinking about it. This thought kept coming to me that I can only attribute to the Holy Spirit, he told her. I kept thinking, you have been privileged for a purpose. You have vastly overestimated your part in earning all this money and vastly underestimated God's purpose in it. And he told Nancy that experience with God started him on a journey of generosity that Nancy Orpert called uh, staggering generosity. It changed his life. He heard a word from God that changed his life. Just recently, my, my daughter Jenna is in China this summer. 
on a, on a missions trip. So she was raising financial support for this missions trip. Now, uh, she's going into her senior year of college when she gets back, but all through high school and into college, she worked in a sort of refugee center, uh, Catholic uh, refugee center in Worcester. And most of what she did was, tra- tra- she did a lot of translation work. She's fluent in Spanish. She did a lot of translation work for uh, Spanish-speaking uh, people, families coming in, uh, needing help, needing services, that kind of stuff. And she did that. And uh, in the context of that, she got to know a number of people who also volunteered there. Um, there's this one guy who's been working there, volunteering there for a while, older guy, uh, lives very, very simply. Um, he heard that Jenna was going to China and that she needed to raise financial support. And he told her one day while she was there, um, I'm going to send you something for the mail, in the mail. Look out for it. Be, you know, look for it. She said, okay. And a few days later, she got this envelope in the mail, fat envelope in the mail. And she opened it up. And there was $1,000 in cash in it with a little note saying, don't, don't call me. Uh, don't let anybody know. I am just so happy to be able to give this to you. May God bless you in your ministry. And um, I... Here's a guy who gets what Jesus is talking about. Who, again, like Harry and Emma, lived very simply because his joy was in being able to give. And to give it quietly, to give it in secret. He wanted to bless people in China and he wanted to encourage Jenna to pursue her relationship with Jesus, the call of God that God has placed upon her life through it. Jenna learned a lot about the generosity of God that day. So, generosity, true generosity is an act of worship. It flows for, from a trust in God's acceptance and love for you and expresses itself. The desire to please him above all things by loving others as he loves you. Yeah. So we're generous with our resources, our time, our energy, our gifts and abilities, our possessions, our money. We can be generous with our words Words of affirmation and encouragement. Words of wisdom and counsel. We can be generous with our prayers. Praying for one another, praying for our city, praying for our country and world. We can be generous with our acceptance of others, our welcoming, our hospitality of them, our embrace of them. We can be generous with our expressions of gratitude and thankfulness to people. You know, stop for a minute and think, to whom do I need to say thank you this week? We can be generous with our forgiveness and mercy to others. We can be generous with our love and with our compassion, with our practical service. We can be 
generous with our presence to others, especially in times of trouble. We can give of ourselves. More than our stuff, we can give of ourselves. That's at the heart of biblical generosity. And we can be generous with the gospel. Sharing the good news of Jesus and not just hoarding it for ourselves. There are so many ways that we can be generous with our lives. Don't limit it to just money or stuff. Let's be generous people in all of who we are. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul writes this in the context of calling upon the Corinthians to be generous. We are blessed people who are called to be blessed, or called to be a blessing to others. True generosity is an act of worship that flows from a trust in God's acceptance and love for you and expresses itself in a desire to please him above all things by loving others as he loves you. So ask yourself, to whom or in what ways does God want me to be generous today and this week? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are generous to us. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are generous to us by giving us yourself. You sent your son, Jesus, to be with us. And by his spirit, Jesus lives in us. Thank you for that. Lord, you are generous in mercy and grace. You are generous in love and kindness. You are generous in all your ways. Lord, we want to be like that. And the world needs us to be like that. So Lord, we ask that you would help us. And we ask that you'd be honored in all of that. That even as people are blessed, they return their blessings upon you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.